Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We're getting you ready for Super Bowl 55 on this edition of the podcast. I'll have the Gazette Sports staff's predictions for the game between the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'll also have sound from the CBS crew who will call Sunday's game, Jim Nance and Tony Romo. I'll also speak to sportsbook manager from Rivers Casino in Schenectady, Harborside Hal Wafer, about betting on the game. There will also be a non-Super Bowl interview. I'll speak with the new manager of the Tri-City Valley Cats and former Major League slugger Pete Incavilia. Let's get into the Super Bowl. We have a devout Kansas City Chiefs fan on the Gazette News staff. He covers education for the paper. Here is Zach Maxson. Zach, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ken. It's great to be here. Well, you're made in voyage in the podcast, and what a time for you to come on. You're Kansas City Chiefs defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, you are from Kansas City. Uh, what is life like as a Kansas City Chiefs fan these days? Life as a Kansas City Chiefs fan these days is... Pretty good, actually, I have to say, yeah. So, I mean, Kansas City fans are feeling great about the team they have, the players they have, and uh, a shot at being a real dynasty here. Yeah, your coach, Andy Reid, with Coach Mike Philadelphia Eagles for, I think, 12 seasons, took them to a Super Bowl appearance in uh, 2004. Uh, what is it about Andy Reid that's really endeared him to the Chiefs fans? Yeah, I mean, Chiefs fans are grateful, eternally grateful to Philadelphia for letting him go. I mean, he just, you know, he, he, he's got a great uh, attitude. He's, you know, very positive and, and, uh, he, he seems to have an endless bag of tricks there. So he, uh, he makes things real exciting and, uh, isn't afraid to, to really go for it. Yeah, well, my Eagles are not working on their third coach since they got rid of Andy Reid, but I won't just, but at least we won a Super Bowl for Andy Reid. I can say that much. So, <laughs> but, uh, uh, that's about, right. That's right. Yeah. We were happy to get him there. <laughs> what about this team, Zach? I mean, what, what what is so special about this team? Just you, know, you start with Patrick Mahomes, and just the offense is just so dynamic. I mean, how did the Buccaneers even stop this offense? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be hard to stop, and um, they always sort of are able to to do what it takes. And I know there was a lot of talk about um, how many close games they had, but as someone who watched, you know, they never. They often didn't feel that close. Um, you know, they, they, they know how to, to close things out, how to, how to keep a lead, how to get a lead if they need it. Um, so it will be tough for, for uh, Tampa to keep up. Uh, the O-line's a little beat up, and, and you never know with, with Tom Brady in there. But, um, you know, the Chiefs, they always, they always find a way on offense to, to either get that first down or get a long score or, or do whatever it takes. And uh, there's really no... Uh, no one who can match Mahomes and, and sort of uh, coming up with the right play at the right time. When did you realize Mahomes was going to be something special? I mean, he just you know, he just became this phenomenon. He continues to be a phenomenon with you know just the skills he has and the no look passes and uh, just what is it about him that makes him so special? Yeah, I mean, it, I'll be honest. I kind of, I took like a, a a number of years off of really watching much football at all. And, I came back sort of right as the Mahomes era was getting going, and it was like I was watching an all-new sport or something. Just the way that he can, you know, roll out to his left and throw all the way across the field to the right, or sort of sling it uh, sidearmed or whatever it takes to sort of fit the ball right where it needs to go. It's it's pretty amazing. I mean, when you look back on it in hindsight, maybe we shouldn't be that shocked. I think he threw for like 800 yards in a college game, uh, and he really, you know, kind of was in that sling it. Uh, offense that they had in Texas Tech, um, but but when you add that, and I think he's got this professionalism and attitude, and he his his dad was a professional athlete, so he knows what goes into sort of you know maintaining a locker room and an, a positive attitude, and and how much uh, you know it really boils down to, to winning critical games and winning championships. So I think he he really is the full package. So why did you take a few years off? Oh, I, uh, I mean, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes when, you know, uh, you're, you're moving around the country and doing different things and, uh, you, you know, you can't, uh, 
always find uh, those Sunday mornings to sit in front of the TV like when you're growing up. But yeah. uh, I'm definitely back to it now. So, you know, once a Chiefs fan, always a Chiefs fan. I think that's kind of how, how it feels when you come from Kansas City. Same thing with the Royals. Um, but, yeah, no, we're, we're back into to being there every Sunday. Yeah, have you attended games at Arrowhead? Uh, yeah, no, I – a lot of games at Airhead growing up, definitely, yeah. I mean, what what um, is that atmosphere it's, like? Uh, it's I mean, a great place to watch. It's a great atmosphere, it really is. It's um, I was sort of thinking about this earlier, and it's it's kind of the stadium is sort of in a is the stadium along with um, Kaufman, where the Royals play, are sort of just plopped down in the sort of obscure part of town, surrounded by just like acres and acres of parking, basically. And uh, for the for the Chiefs games. There's massive tailgates, people with converted school buses, just as far as the eye can see, uh, you know, all the hours leading up to those games. And uh, I think it's, it's always had a reputation of being one of the louder, harder stadiums to play in. And, and I don't really know where that comes from exactly, but, but it's definitely for real when you see it. Yeah, I mean, that stadium's nearly 50 years old. I think it opened like in 73, I believe, along with Kaufman. And it's, they're still, you know, look, the stadiums look great out there and, I, mean, I remember back when yeah, I was. Yeah, they've a kid. done some work. On, yeah, they've done some work on them, and it, it's kind of unfortunate. I, I always wish that they were like downtown or something. That's really like you. You can you only go there if you're going there, and it's it's very strange to get in. Uh, it's kind of like Disney World almost, but uh, but yeah, they're fun stadiums. Yeah, I mean, for me, I grew up in Philadelphia, and you know, all the stadiums were plopped down in South Philadelphia. There was really nothing around it. Uh, the, the vet, the Spectrum, the JFK. Now it's. You know, basically, there's still you know some bars there now, but it's uh, but uh, to me, I look at you know, Arrowhead and Coughlin. It's like it's amazing that they you know, remodel and it's, it places look new. And I remember as a kid, Arrowhead they had the hard artificial turf there, and now it's grass, and it just seems like it's been a natural surface, and you know, it doesn't look like it's worn out there. Yep, yep. So yeah, no, they uh, and Kansas City, they you know they get behind their teams and they're real. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's just that they focus and they are, um, you know, all about their Chiefs, all about their Royals. Um, that's kind of how they do it in Kansas City. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I mean, what's Tom Brady going to bring to the table on uh, this weekend? Is he, get, is he got enough left in him to, 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 to get another one? It would be pretty amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just a 10th Super Bowl and he's won six already. Uh, he's, you know, lost three, including one to my Eagles and two to the Giants. Uh, I, you know, I, to me, I just the fact that he's got he, with a new team, it took some time for him to adjust to playing for a new team. But he has a lot more weapons this year with Tampa Bay than he did with New England last year, and they got on a roll. And he had to go on the road three straight uh, weeks to uh, get to the Super Bowl and get to play at home. The first uh, uh, team to host that hosting Super Bowl he has to play at home. Uh, so I'd be, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be much of home field advantage because obviously there's not going to be much of a crowd there. And even if there was. The stands are packed. The tickets are sort of split up anyway. But I, I think the home field yeah, advantage. The, they won all their they won all their road games. No problems. The, the only games they lost were at home. So yeah, and, including uh, including the one earlier this year against the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, you if not, I think you watched that game and the Chiefs got out to a, such a good start there. And uh, what's going to be the key to you know keep that up in the second meeting? Yeah, I mean they'll they'll go for for it from the get go, and uh, you know we'll see what. Um, kind of protection the O-line is able to to give uh, Mahomes. That'll be, you know, a key thing I'll be watching for from the get-go. And, uh, you know, they've kind of pieced it together this year. And uh, even in the last game when people worried his toe was still a little banged up, and he was not as mobile as he's been in other games. At least he wasn't, you know, going for it in the way he had in other games. So we'll see. Um, you know, I think he might be willing to sort of uh, move out and dodge and weave uh, um, as much as he needs to. Um, but he didn't really bring to the table in the AFC Championship game as much as uh, a, a, as he could potentially. Um, so we'll see how the O line holds up and what, if anything, um, you know, the Tampa secondary is able to do to keep uh, Tyreek and Travis Kelsey in check. So uh, no one's been able to do it yet this season, including them. So we'll see if uh, they're able to, to find a key there. Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs have so many weapons. I mean, it's going to be. Very difficult for, to, for this Buccaneers defense to stop uh, the Chiefs' offense. That's right. Yeah, I mean they're playing about as good as a defense can play, is my impression. Um, but 
I don't know. I hear uh, uh, offenses rule the day in the NFL these days. So. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I mean, how concerned were you in, in that uh, divisional game at Cleveland when you know Mahomes left that game and it looked like they didn't know where he was at? Oh yeah, that was very very troubling. I mean, like like I mentioned, the toe injury there. He was uh, he did look banged up even before they sort of ran that option play. And like as it was going, I was thinking, oh God, what what is happening here? And it was a, a very awkward sort of tackle. Um, it was pre- there was a lot of time left in the game, and I mean, it looked like that could could have been it. But uh, you know, Chad Henney really pulled it out there, and, and they just again they sort of had that winning uh, mentality um, to find just whatever it takes to, to get the game over and put it in the W column. And, and the defense played strong. And Kansas City's defenses, I, I think, were underrated, and they. Uh, similarly to the offense, sort of then, but don't break, you know, we'll just hold out as much as they need to get right tackles at the right time or or, or step in the way of a pass um, at a critical moment and, and sort of find find those key plays. If the Chiefs win Sunday, uh, it'd be obviously the second straight, do you think this team could win multiple Super Bowls with this combination of Reed and Mahomes? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, obviously – you know, they're in a position to do that already, and I think if they win this game this weekend as they're favored to do, and as, as they really should do because they're the better team, um, you know, that puts them at one of the only couple of teams, I guess, what, they'll be the third team to win back-to-back, and no one's won three in a row, so they'll be heading into next year with the potential to be, uh, you know, really one of the greatest professional sports teams of all time, and, you know, this is, uh, this is only... Mahomes' third season as a starter, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when you look at what Tom Brady has made, great advancements in the longevity of quarterbacking, and hopefully Mahomes can take advantage of that. What do the Chiefs have to do to stop Tom Brady? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, he's not going to have the mobility that uh, Mahomes can, uh, can hopefully bring to the table. And so, just like Tampa's going to be trying to get after um, Mahomes and take advantage of, of that O line. I think that's what the, the defense will have to do for Kansas City and, and really put pressure on him um, while, while still keeping strong coverage in the secondary and not giving up any of those those long plays. Uh, you know, Steve Spagnuolo, the, the defensive coordinator, he uh, led one of those uh, Giants defenses to, to beating Brady, and, and he likes to scheme it up with a lot of a lot of pressure. So expect. Uh, uh, you know, pressure up the middle, you're going to have linebackers blitzing, you're going to have cornerbacks blitzing, you're going to have, you know, a lot of fake blitzes, and, and they're going to be trying to, to get after Tom and, and, you know, put him in the ground some. What's the final score prediction? The fi- oh, the final score prediction. I'm going to go with... Mm, this stuff, 38-27. to Okay. Well, Zach, appreciate a few minutes uh, talking about the Super Bowl. Good luck to your Chiefs on Sunday. And uh, maybe if I see you in the office next week, I'll be wearing some Chiefs Super Bowl championship um, paraphernalia. That's right. Hopefully. So, <laughs> all right. I appreciate it, Ken. All right, thanks. That's Zach Max. Good luck to all the Tampa. Good luck to all the Tampa. Yeah, right. Podcast land. All right. Thanks, Zach. That's Zach Matson, uh, education reporter for the Gazette. Uh, well, we got Zach's pick. What about the Daily Gazette Sports Stats predictions? Here's how they're looking at the game. This is Adam Schinder, and while we've got a most unique Super Bowl this year, both under the circumstances of the pandemic and the first time ever a team will play the Super Bowl in its home stadium, I can't go with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City offense simply are too good, especially with with Tampa's questions uh, injury-wise in the middle of the secondary at safety. Seems to open up too much for Travis Kelsey or Tyree Kill down the field. I think it's a high-scoring game, and I think turnovers could play a big reason for this one. But I'm going to go with the Chiefs, 45-34, to take back-to-back titles. Hi, Jim Schultz, sports writer for the Daily Gazette. I uh, Wow, the Super Bowl is going to be great. I, I, I'm predicting a great game, but I'm also going to pick Kansas City, uh, Chiefs, in a, in, a, in a really close one. They just seem to always have a way to pull out the uh, – they've been pulling out games for the last couple of years, so I'm very impressed with them. 
but I don't think Tom Brady and the Bucks are going to go down without a fight. Uh, I expect TDs both sides. I think I think there's going to be some scoring in this one, although both teams do play some pretty good D. Uh, if you want to predict, and I'm going to say uh, Kansas City 31 to 28. Stan Hootie with my Super Bowl pick. It's going to be one for the ages. Tom Brady, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the Kansas City Chiefs. 34-27, Gronk and Tom right out in the sunset with another Super Bowl. And probably Brady on Gronk's back just to make it interesting. But there you go. Put your money on it. This is Michael Kelly, the sports editor of the Daily Gazette, making my Super Bowl pick which is uh, mostly a pick against Stan Hooty, who I've, uh, I've heard has picked Tom Brady in the Bucks. Um, so I get to go against Hooty and take Patrick Mahomes. Final score, 41-22, Chiefs repeat. Andrew Pugliese, and I'm going to go with Chiefs, 34-31. Shootout and Arians' decision to go for it, go big, gets him in trouble as the Chiefs were able to outshoot him in this one. Hi, this is Kaylin Brown, Managing Editor at the Gazette. I'm choosing the Kansas City Chiefs for this week's Super Bowl, this year's Super Bowl, because of my allegiance to Zach Matson, our education reporter. And I cannot choose the Florida team because somebody named Tom Brady plays for them. Mike McAdams, sports writer. I'm going to be the grouchy, miserable Grinch here. As a Dolphins fan, I pretty much hate Tom Brady, and I'm already having horrible visions in my head of him hoisting another Super Bowl trophy. So I'm going to pick uh, Tampa Bay 34, Kansas City 29. I almost said New England there, Freudian slip. Um, So, yeah, I'm just going to be miserable and pick uh, Tampa Bay. The end. As for my prediction... We haven't had a repeat Super Bowl champion since Tom Brady led the New England Patriots to consecutive titles in 2003 and 2004. Now, Brady has a chance to prevent Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs from repeating. But I just don't see it. The Chiefs have too many weapons for the Bucks' defense to stop. The Chiefs make it two straight Super Bowl titles with a 41-27 victory. Up next, CBS's Jim Nance and Tony Romo talk about Super Bowl 55 from a Zoom call with reporters last week. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots Podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Byron Hunter, the world champion, New York Giants. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associates sports editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast as we continue our preview of Super Bowl 55. CBS held a Zoom call with Jim Nance and Tony Romo last Thursday. They will call the game Sunday. It's their second Super Bowl they have called together. The first one was in 2019 and could be considered the worst Super Bowl ever as the New England Patriots pulled out a 13-3 victory over the Los Angeles Rams in Super Bowl 53. They are hoping Sunday's game will be much better. Well, I think the first one was just new for me. I think more than anything, it felt uh, like a big deal as I'm now learning all of these are just from uh, everyone who, you know, works at CBS in any capacity. I mean, it's it's almost a year-long process. I mean, people are preparing for this for really maybe even more than a year, but even from mine and Jim's perspective, we feel it for about a year, and uh, you're always hoping for a great matchup and uh, a game that is exciting. But I'll tell you, this is... As a football fan, this is as good as it gets. And I can tell you right now, um, in 30, 40 years from now, I have a funny feeling this might be the greatest matchup that, uh, from a story perspective, and an analyst and a play-by-play guy, and just us, we're very excited. We feel like we're very lucky. And there was a lot of good matchups that could have happened, and we'd have been okay with those. But this, this one's really special. I really do feel that. Joe, I'll just say that I, it's just a dream. 
and me, you know, just almost couldn't write a better script for us going into into this game. It, uh, I feel like in some respects uh, we're due. When we had our first uh, swing at the plate as a tandem two years ago, it had the makings of being this electrifying, high-scoring affair between um, Sean McVay, this uh, boy genius coach, and the high-powered Rams offense, Brady and company. And I was just as I'm constantly just pouring through, you know, notes and minutiae that people send, and you start getting thoughts in your head. I ran across some Super Bowl stats. Not that I needed to be reminded, but the fewest points ever scored by a team to win a Super Bowl, the Patriots two years ago, 13 points. The fewest points ever scored by a losing team in a Super Bowl, three points. There's never been a shutout in a Super Bowl game. So we had the lowest on both sides of that, which naturally means we had the lowest scoring Super Bowl of all time, 16 total points. But moreover, we had one play in the entire game that was run inside of a red zone. That's almost, I still wish someone would statistically look that up. Has it ever happened before? You might remember Brady hit Gronk on a scene pass down to the two in the next play. Sony Michelle ran it in from two yards out. That was it. There was never another play. The entire game inside the 20. So why do I say that? Well, I look at this matchup. That, that's impossible. That, that, that won't happen here. That can't happen here. It will not happen here. Uh, this game is, hold your breath. And there's going to be a big highlight coming at you every couple of minutes. We had the, the good fortune of, of seeing this matchup in that same arena, November 29th. And it ended up being a 27-24 Kansas City win. But Kansas City jumped out front in that first quarter with a first quarter performance that was pretty memorable. And Tyreek Hill had 206 yards receiving in the first quarter. And Tony and I began to speculate that he's on an 800-yard receiving, 800 yards receiving pace for the game. So, uh, yeah, we've seen it. We had a little sneak preview, if you will, a tease. And now we have the real game. And it's going to be good. We're going to have a lot to talk about. But I, I just know it's it's going to have uh, historical significance to Tony's point. I agree. I think looking down the road, Tony, we're going to be looking at a game here. You know, you can look back at the Bradshaw and Staubachs and other fascinating quarterback matchups. This is as good as Tony said. This is, this is just a dream. Romo talked about Tom Brady. He was asked if Brady looks relaxed. Well, I don't think uh, relaxed would be the word I would use. I think I think he had to learn because what happens is football, we always pretend it's not like basketball or some other sport. Uh, in football, the, you're coming into a lot of people in an environment that is structured already. It's set. So... You know, it's like a rookie coming in, but a rookie who all of a sudden has, you know, six Super Bowls is a little different, obviously. But when you come in, you don't just impose your will right away because it's not like you're doing this to five people or ten people. And it's not like they're watching practice. Like what happens over time is you need to learn them and they need to learn you. And you can't just come in and say, this is what we're going to do because everyone has a job. I mean, this is so big. I mean, obviously, the 53 players on 46 in the game day roster and practice club, but then everyone in the organization, in the building, they've been doing all this stuff day and night for a long period of time, for many years. And you're coming in trying to fit in. I don't care who you are, you're trying to fit in. And that takes time to just fit in and recognize how this whole thing goes. And so I don't think Tom was trying to be more laid back, more anything. I just think it was a change, and it shocks the system a little bit in that, okay, what's different here about our system and how we, A, call plays, run plays, how we evaluate the players and what's important here, and then you start to kind of take in, you know, uh, you're processing all the information, and your brain has, like for Tom, his brain has such a recall 
on so many things that he just needs information. And that's why we talked about throughout the season. I was like, I can see signs of them getting it. And once he gets it, now all of a sudden he's like, all right, coaches, we need to go this route a little bit. And they trust him. All right, players, we need to do this. All right, you know, anybody in the entire organization, he can do that. He can't do that at day one. And he didn't have the offseason. So it takes a lot more time than people really understand. And it's really unique that he's done it in year one. You know, it really should have taken longer. But we are talking about the greatest, you know, who's ever walked. And somehow, you know, he put that together. And you can see it. If you watch the tape and everything, it's played out that way. And uh, it's really remarkable that you can do that in your first year. Because it takes a lot of the ability to communicate with people, trust people, and have them trust you. And then use your influence where it needs to be based on all your history of what you know. And I think he's done that. On a Wednesday Zoom call, I asked CBS Sports Chairman Sean McManus why it has been difficult for the Super Bowl to reach the holy grail of a 50 rating. The only time the Super Bowl came close to achieving a 50 rating was Super Bowl 16 in 1982, when the San Francisco 49ers win over the Cincinnati Bengals earned a 49.1 rating for CBS. Uh, the question of 50 rating, I mean, it's just the nature of uh, people's viewing habits and, you know, how many people are potentially doing other things on Super Bowl Sunday. I, I always think that the ratings for the Super Bowl are a little bit underreported. I just feel that instinctively. Um, I always wonder what people who are not watching the Super Bowl are watching on television. Um, but that's just me, and I guess I'm probably not objective when it... Um, uh, you know, when it comes to that. But listen, when you're when you're talking about 106, 108, 110, you know, million people for an average audience, I will take that any day. Up next, we'll talk about wagering on the Super Bowl with Harborside Hal Wafer, sportsbook manager for Rivers Casino in Schenectady. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. It's flu season, and it's always a good idea to get the flu shot. But this year, it's more important than ever. A flu shot won't prevent COVID-19, but it will lower your chances of getting seriously sick from the flu. If you do get sick, the shot can lessen your symptoms and help you feel better sooner. The last thing you or the healthcare system needs during this pandemic is a bad flu season. So please, protect yourself and your community. Get a flu shot now. Hi, this is UAlbany football coach Greg Atuso. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Where is the betting money leaning towards Sunday Super Bowl? To talk about that and some of the interesting prop bets is the sportsbook manager for Rivers Casino in Schenectady, Harborside, Hal Wafer. Hal, welcome back to the podcast. And I think it's been a year since we last chatted about uh, sports gambling. Oh, thank you for having me back, uh, Ken. Oh, yeah, and I think you're about right. It's been about a year, yeah. Yeah, it's been a crazy year, uh, obviously, with the pandemic. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. But first, let's look at the line right now for the, uh, for Sunday's game. Uh, I think Kansas City opened up as a three-point fair. It's been fluctuating between three, three-and-a-half. Is that is that uh, pretty accurate? Oh, yes. I believe the line started at three-and-a-half was uh, when it first came out after, you know, the Super Bowl matchup was announced that evening and it went down to three. Now it's gone back up to three and a half. And um, like here for us, you know, in general, I think more people are a little more on the Kansas City side. But I, I know like nationally, it also seems to be following suit that most people are siding with Kansas City on the uh, the line. Yeah. Well, obviously, Tom Brady's a big factor in his uh, Super Bowl. So is that why maybe the line's kind of uh... – yeah, low at this point. Yeah, I, 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 it's going like I said, it's going back and forth. Um, I don't see it maybe really reaching four. To be honest with you, it's going back from three and a half to three, three and a half to three. So you know, there's high rooting interest, betting, wagering interest on both teams, and uh, I, I think it's a great number for uh, people, you know, they want Brady and get, get in the hook, you can get the extra half a point. Or if you're like Kansas City and you're, you're waiting for it to flatten out at three and you can get Mahomes without the hook. So I think it has a lot of wagering uh, 
uh, interest in that regard, how the line is sitting right there. Yeah. Well, Tampa Bay is the uh, first team to play its home, in its home stadium for the Super Bowl. Does, does that affect the betting line? Um, I don't think so, to be honest with you. As you know, uh, can I do my own metrics? Mm-hmm. And when you go back for the metrics this year with the, the COVID situation with initially – zero to no fans and then it was a limited amount later in the year with some of the teams and then during the playoffs basically um you know normally uh, from an odds maker perspective that say home field's worth two two and a half points really when you did the numbers um metric wise on home teams home field was only worth a half a point so the lack of fans did affect that now i know they're, they're going to have a, a decent amount of people at the super bowl compared to the season and some of the playoff games. But um, I don't really honestly see it being that much of a factor. I mean, obviously in a normal year, uh, Hal, uh, not all season ticket holders get tickets to the Super Bowl, so you usually have to go through a lottery to win the chance to purchase tickets, obviously with this, uh, with this year. I mean, to me, I, I think the, the, the fact that it's you know, they're saying Tampa Bay's got home field advantage, it's, it, it, yeah, they're playing in home stadium, but – it's not really much a home field. Would have been, would not really have been a much of a home field advantage because they wouldn't have had all their fans there. Right, you know they're they're having a lot of first responders, which I think is great uh, uh, for the you know COVID situation. And um, and I've actually years ago I uh, entered that NFL lottery to win Super Bowl tickets. I didn't win uh, back then. You had to send in a postcard, you know, date, number, address, all that, your info. And you'd get lucky enough to get drawn to get it at a, a realistic value. But uh, I know what you mean because you could go in the lottery system to get it. Yeah. And, that, and that would be a little bit different. You had a lot of fans. Um, and But still, you can you know pretty much say it's going to be divided right down the middle. Right. Most uh, Super Bowls. Yeah. Well, obviously with the Super Bowls, a lot of prop bets um, you know, there every year. Any particular ones that are standing out this year with the pandemic? Um, like myself, like my met, you know, um, my metrics really like uh, Mahomes and Kansas City in this game. So almost anything attached with Mahomes. I mean, you got you got some props where uh, Mahomes to score. Uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, like the first touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's like eighteen to one. And also, you have uh, to score a player prop to score a touchdown in the. At, and that player's team wins the game. Mahomes is plus four twenty-five. That's not huge, like eighteen to one. Um, but really, uh, I, I like the uh, Mahomes either to score first or to score a touchdown in the game or the last score of the game. Those seem to have some very nice odds attached to it. And then, just so the folks remember, you know, New York State the wagering set up different here, where you're not allowed to bet any kind of. Uh, wagering events that take place off the field. You can't bet national anthem, can't bet coin toss, can't bet what color the Gatorade is, so, so on and so, so forth. It's got to be on the field in New York State to wager on that type of prop. Oh, gee, that's no fun. <laughs> well, it was that way last year also, and I just want to make sure yeah. the folks uh, know that because I'm sure I'll get a few questions here and there, which is fine. Yeah. And uh, perhaps someday that'll change. Yeah. Uh, how how's the how the pandemic affect uh, betting this year on football and other sports? I mean, I know for a while Rivers Casinos was, was closed because of the uh, pandemic. I mean, what was it like this year? And, and this effect, particularly the football season, especially with some games were getting moved around, and just uh, how how difficult a year was it on the betting circuit? Um, I, I really can't say enough for our executive team, uh, the VP of Operations, uh, Jeff Kutry, and the GM Justin Moore. When we came back, we had a lot of uh, great protocols set up for social distancing, the cleaning, um, the the floor dots to keep the six feet apart, and really it became a situation in the sports book of a bet and go because we didn't have any seating really uh, much at all where you could sit. So you came in, placed your wagers at the kiosk or the live windows, and the ticket writers did a great job cleaning after each customer, and they still do, and and the EVS workers that we have cleaning down all the kiosks for all the folks. I can't say enough for uh, everyone in that regard. And the customers have been, and the guests have been great. 
um, adhering to the distance and, you know, stepping up on each dot and keeping their distance, wearing their mask and being patient. You know, that, that's a big factor in this where, you know, a lot of people could get a little bit, uh, you know, upset or something or impatient. But everybody's been fine and courteous. Um, all, all the customers and uh, the, the workers have been great. And really, it's a, a, a bet and go type of situation, and all the protocols and the safety uh, initiatives put into place by uh, Jeff Kutry and Justin Moore have definitely helped. And all all the workers have really adhered to it, and we've we've done very uh, well in that regard. And we're still doing it, and uh, I think that's helped to make a lot of difference. And we have, you know, and it's been almost not missing a beat since we've come back. Um, at the beginning of the, the NFL season to now. Mm -hmm. So as far as the sports book here goes, um, other than these changes that we've had to do with a lot of stanchions set up, it almost looks like, you know, Disneyland for adults, <laughs> um, getting through the stanchions to get to the kiosk or the live windows, but everybody, you know, knows the drill now and they know what to expect. And as I always preach every time, I'm talking on a podcast with you or in the paper on TV. Please come early, you know, bet bet Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or if you come Sunday, in this case for the Super Bowl, but I was saying this week after week, we open at 6. You bet on the kiosk then. 7 o'clock, the live windows open with the live tellers. And uh, come early so you don't get... You don't get rushed, or you you get your your bets in, and, and heaven forbid you would be shut out. And there's plenty of time. You know, come early. Six we open, and and seven f for the live windows. So I just highly recommend coming early. Uh, you mentioned about home field advantage earlier. Obviously, betting this year with no fans did that affect the way uh, lines were set? Because I mean, no fans in the stands, and I mean, it, it really that's more of a home field disadvantage for teams. Right, correct. And it was about halfway through the season, the metrics really started showing that, that, you know, going from two, two and a half, say, tradi traditional odds-making standards of home field advantage. And like I said, it was basically um, 0 0.4 of a point, you know, but let's round it up to half a point it was worth. So I thought... It took a while even for the odds maker to kind of make that change and reduce the home field advantage, which they did later on in the year. And I don't think or the fans maybe really in general took that much notice of that, probably thinking, you know, well, there's a lot of conversation I've had with with betters and, and our, our guests all the time about it. And everybody kind of thought, well, it's going to have some kind of effect but not really knowing what that number was, you know. And that's one thing I enjoy doing with the, our folks here is, you know, just giving them the straight scoop. And, uh, you know, halfway through the season, I had to let them know. I go, it's really about a half a point all it's worth now, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm just giving them the straight scoop and always trying to, you know, be on top of giving them good information to – you know, not only for my staff, but so our customers are in highly informed. Do you expect, uh, with you know everybody being home at this point with the pandemic, do you expect a record no uh, amount of uh, money being wagered? Um, I think um, I know that the uh, American uh, Gaming Association uh, thinks it might be a little bit reduced because of the pandemic. But also in the same breath, you know, going back to last year's Super Bowl, off the top of my head, I believe we have 11 more states slash jurisdictions that have started with uh, legal sports betting, you know, like Chicago, Illinois, uh, Michigan, Virginia, the District of Columbia, uh, to name a, a few of them. Mm -hmm. And with that, it's allowing the potential for people to have those outlets right, you know, down the street from them, so to speak. Now, within some of those jurisdictions, unlike New York, where, you know, we don't have the legal mobile wagering aspect or component, even though you have COVID, like you said, I, I expect there to be a good amount of handle where, you know, people coming, heeding my advice, whichever jurisdiction you happen to be in, betting early, um, you know, less of a crowd, uh, perhaps on a Sunday morning before the Super Bowl, if people are concerned about that. 
um, in any one of these other jurisdictions, but you can bet on mobile in a, a good amount. I, I think it's seven or eight or, or so they have mobile uh, wagering states to off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that will all highly attribute to a, a, a very vigorous uh, wagering handle on the Super Bowl overall uh, with all these, you know, over 20-some states with legal sports betting. Well, Hal, as always, I appreciate you uh, breaking things down for us on, on Super Bowl betting, and uh, uh, hopefully, we'll talk a little more soon, a little sooner uh, down the road once we get we get into maybe horse racing season. Oh yes, yeah, certainly. Any time, I appreciate it, Ken. And as I tell all the uh, folks out there, a thank you, and uh, have a great day. And as always, a better's tomorrow. All right, I, that's what I was waiting for, Al. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that's Al. That's Harborside. Al Wafer. Up next will be the non-Super Bowl portion of the podcast. New Tri-City Valley Cast manager Pete Incavilia joins me here on the Parting Shots podcast. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Now, here's Ken. Welcome back to the non-Super Bowl portion of the podcast. The Tri-City Valley Cats begin a new chapter in their existence, moving from Major League-affiliated baseball to the Independent Frontier League. Last Thursday, the team named its new manager, and he's a familiar name. He played in the Major Leagues for 12 seasons, including a stint with my Philadelphia Phillies. Please welcome Pete Incavilia to the show. Pete, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to the uh, Capital Region, and congratulations on getting the job last Thursday. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, very excited and looking forward to uh, getting up to the capital city and, uh, you know, uh, getting to meet the fans and and uh, hear the, it's got a beautiful stadium and uh, hear the area is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful ballpark that they built there uh, on campus of Hudson Valley. I've covered some, some games there. And uh, I also cover some independent league ball. As I mentioned, the, uh, the Phillies, we'll talk a little about the, just with the Phillies, but uh, you've been involved in independent league baseball in the Atlantic League with the Sugarland uh, team down in Texas. Uh, how much fun is it to, and of course you've also been involved with major league uh, affiliate baseball as a coach, I mean, how much more fun is it to, to be a manager in independent baseball? Well, you know, it, 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 there is quite a contrast. You know, you know uh, affiliated baseball leans more towards development and 
you know, uh, all the orders come, you know, from the front office where, you know, this guy's going to get his innings and this guy's going to get his at-bats and, you know, uh, whether he deserves to get them doesn't really matter, you know, he's going to get them. And, you know, on the flip side, indie ball is, you know, it's it's about earning the right to be on the field, uh, you know, earning earning the right to play and, you know, wins matter. And uh, I, I think that's important because when you get to the big leagues, I mean, you know, wins matter. You know, you got to make yourself valuable to your, to your club and and you got to play the game the right way and, you know, uh, be a good teammate and play to win and do the things it takes to, you know, win ball games as a ball club. Um, I'm not so sure that, um, you know, on the affiliate side, you know, that's the case because, you know, their biggest thing is just, you know, getting players repetition and getting them at bats and innings and, and more importantly, developing their talent. Yeah, we had independent baseball here for a while in the 90s and early 2000s with the Northeast League, the Albany County Diamond Dogs, uh, when the Albany Yankees left. So uh, people are familiar with it, and it was a lot of fun. I, I, mean, I covered the team during its, its existence, and it was a blast. I mean, it, was, it was about winning. There were trades that were made, and, and we did see some uh, major leaguers come in through, through the uh, Albany uh, Diamond Dogs. Uh, Francisco Cabrera played here in the 1997 season. Uh, Rafael Belliard in, in 99. So you, you do see some familiar names, and how important is that? To, to maybe get some fans in, in the stands. Hey, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm definitely going out and going to try and find the best talent that I can find under the guidelines and rules of the Frontier League. I mean, you know, I got to carry ten players who have one year or less professional experience, um, and then I get you know ten guys you know who are experienced where. Uh, you know, those might be your, you know, triple A, double A guys. And then, you know, you get your veterans, uh, your three veterans over the age of 29. So, you know, those three veteran guys, you know, you know, might be some guys with some big league time. How much fun was it uh, in Sugarland uh, to be a part? Because I mean, I, I was part of the Atlantic League. You guys had to travel a lot uh, during that time. Yeah, yeah, we, you know, we, we logged a lot of air time. I mean, we, you know, we go home and play for a week, and then we, you know, fly back to the East Coast and, you know, play for a week or 10 days and, you know, fly back home and, you know, played a 142-game schedule. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of travel, no question. Yeah. How did this uh, job come about with the Valley Cats? Well, you know, I was, I was trying to reflect on that yesterday. It was actually a good question. I'm trying to remember how, but, um, uh, somebody, a, a friend of mine, um, I believe it was Chris Carmanucci with the Arizona Diamondbacks, um, said, hey, uh, you know, there's a new club coming into the Frontier League. Do you have any interest? And I said, well, yeah, of course. And um, he, I think he gave me an email address of either, I think Matt Callahan, and uh, I sent my resume in, and you know, didn't hear anything for a little while, and then Matt called me, had, you know, quick kind of get-to-know-you interview, and then uh, Rick Murphy called me and, you know, had a nice, you know, get-to-know quick interview, and then, uh, you know, Matt called me back a little while later and said, hey, you know, you're our guy, you know, worked out a contract, and here I am, man, excited, <laughs> and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I love to be in uniform, and I uh, still love being around the players, and you know, I still enjoy you know, uh, enjoy the game of baseball. I mean, I'm still very passionate about it, and uh, you know, uh, and uh, I'm really excited to come to the capital area, and you know, and hopefully, you know, I mean, it's my job to win a championship. I mean, that's that's kind of what the way the way I go in every year, no matter where I'm at. And, you know, nobody remembers second place, so I'm gonna come in there and do everything I can to, you know. Help the Tri City Valley Cats, you know, first season be very special. Who do you model your managing uh, managerial style after? You know, that's a, you know I, I've been asked that question several times. You know, I played under some really good managers. Um, you know, my first five years I played under Bobby Valentine, and, uh, and then I went to Detroit and played for Sparky Anderson, which was real special. Uh, um, then 
I went to Houston, played for Art Howe. Um, and then I went to Philadelphia and played for Jim Fergosi, who was, you know, absolutely one of my favorites. And uh, got a little little stint in in Baltimore with Davey Johnson, who was you know, really fun to be around. And, you know, got a cup of coffee with, you know, Joe Torrey and the Yankee organization. And, you know, played for Buddy Bell, uh, went back to Detroit. And, uh, you know, by far probably... It's probably a combination of, you know, Jim Fergosi and Sparky Anderson. You know, Jimmy was such a great um, leader of men and uh, uh, was, you know, very easy to talk to, very accessible. Um, Sparky was the same way, but, you know, Sparky just had a, a charm about him. Um, he was, you know, uh, really a player's manager, you know, so was Jimmy. So I would say it's probably a combination of Jim Fergosi and Sparky Anderson. What is your philosophy? Uh, I, mean, do you want, I mean, do you want aggressive baseball? You want, uh, I mean, we're, we're in a day and age now where analytics dominates things. And it, uh, for a guy, an old school guy like me, it just, it just drives me nuts sometimes where you don't see sacrifice bunts anymore, trying to move the runner along uh, in situations. So it's all driven by... I like maybe I would say computer geeks up in the in the uh, in the luxury suites. But uh, do you are you old school baseball? Um, you know, I'm kind of a, a, a you know. There are some aspects of analytics that I find interesting, but you know, there's still a human element in the game, and you know, you can still got to have some feel. Um, you know, BSI. Um, you know, what you'll see from most of my ball clubs is, you know, you'll see some power, you'll, you'll see some speed. Uh, you know, I preach, you know, pitch to contact. Um, you know, it, it, it's, a lot of old, it's a lot of old school baseball with, you know, some sprinkled in of analytics. You know, I might, you know, roll my defense and, you know, one way or another or, you know, once I kind of get a, an idea of who we're playing and how to play people and, so, you know, I, I would say I'm probably, you know, probably six, seventy percent old school and about thirty percent analytical because that human element is, is you know, you got to have a feel for the game. You got to, you got to figure out if it's, a, you know, going to be a pitcher's duel or if it's going to be a slugfest or, you know, who do you got available and who's coming up and, uh, you know, you, you just. You got to know your people. You got to know your players. You got to know what the, what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. And, um, and and to me, that's a human element, a feel thing, because you know players don't feel the same way every day. You know, I mean, they're they're, they're not robots, and I don't think that you can treat them like robots. You know, one day they might come in and feel great. You know, and two days later they might come in and not feel very good. And you know, you got you got to know that. And, you know, that's the human element of the game that I think sometimes gets overlooked with analytics. You know, I, I made this comment several times. I said, until analytics can measure a man's heart, um, I, I don't know how you can put it 100% in analytics, you know, court to uh, run a baseball team and, and run a game. Now, the Frontier League starts up in a couple of months, so how quickly do you have to assemble a roster? Do you think you have plenty of time to do that? Yeah, I got plenty of time. I mean, well, I, I just did a Constellations League uh, last last year, and, you know, I put 100-plus players together in a week. So, uh, you know, putting, you know, 25, 30 guys together to, you know, bring in the right type of people, you know, because I, I'm a little more patient than most, you know. I, I'm not about bringing in warm bodies. Um, I'm about bringing in the right warm bodies and the right time of person that fits what we're trying to do in Tri-City. Does the uh, pandemic affect things at all, trying to get players? Uh, you know, I haven't had that discussion with um, uh, Matt yet or Rick, but I'm sure it's going to come up. Um, you know, I'm sure that, you know, we're going to have some, some some things in place to keep the players safe, I'm sure. Um um, you know, uh, running that league last year, you know, I learned a lot about the COVID and how to, you know, the protocols and how to bubble people and stuff like that. You know, we played a 48 game schedule and, you know, we did, we did a really
really good job with that. So, you know, the things I learned there will, you know, I'm sure come in handy when once the season starts in Tri City. Have you uh, have an idea about your coaching staff yet? Uh, no, I don't. Um, you know, I, I've always been a, a person who leans towards uh, an indie ball, a player coach. Um, and the reason I do is I learned the game from all the people I played with. You know, I played with some great players, Cal Ripken, Nolan Ryan, you know, Derek Jeter, um, you know, Eddie Murray. Um, you know, I mean, I played with some Hall of Fame players and, you know, when I was a young kid, I, you know, I, I had Charlie Huff and, and uh, Pete O'Brien and Larry Parrish and, you know, a lot of older guys that took me under under their wing and, and, you know, taught me how to act like a professional baseball player on and off the field. So I believe players learn more from their teammates than they do actual coaches. So it's, 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 it's always been a plan of mine, and I've used it several times in indie ball. Uh, you bring in the right type of guys um, who lead by example and are willing to, to take the time to help players, and um, it works out pretty good. So, you know, I'm probably going to be leaning because of the <clears throat> salary cap issues and, and you know, the, the 24-man roster. You know, you're going to need everybody to contribute. And, um, you know, I'm probably going to go with a couple special player coaches in that in that matter. You mentioned the Hall of Fame. I have to ask you this question. Uh, last Tuesday, the Hall of Fame, uh, the Baseball Writers Association of America did not vote anyone for Hall of Fame. You played with Kurt Schilling in Philadelphia. Uh, he fell 16 votes short of um, reaching the induction. What was he like as a player? Was he a good teammate? Uh, well, you know, my father always told me if I didn't have anything really promising to say, um, I probably shouldn't say anything at all. <laughs> uh, I can tell Kurt was a great pitcher, um, great competitor. Um, we'd have never gotten to, you know, the World Series without him. But, uh, you know, um, that's about all I have to say about that. Speaking of 1993, and I have to thank you as you know, from the bottom of my heart. I know we, you didn't win the World Series that year, but that team was just so much fun to watch. And what was it like in that clubhouse every day? It's just you had Dykstra, you had Croft, you had Dalton, uh, uh, Tom Green. What, what was that team like? Was this a, was it controlled chaos? I mean, it was a special group. I mean. I mean, from one day to the next, you didn't know what you were going to see in that clubhouse. <laughs> it was just uh, uh, a bunch of guys who, um, you know, who the manager, Jim Fergosi, let their personalities come out. And, um, you know, it turned into a, you know, almost winning a, a World Series in 1993. It was a great group of guys. We had a lot of fun. But, you know, when, when the game started, you know, people didn't understand. We're, we were all business, man. It was all about us as a group going out there and winning a ball game. That's what it was all about. Um, you, know, John, you know, Johnny was, you know, uh, you know, in the hunt for a batting title, and I'd see him deliberately roll a ball over to second baseman um, just to move the guy from second to third. You know, we had a bunch of unselfish players. You know, Darren Dalton was our, you know, no doubt our leader and he led by example and it was all about a bunch of guys who were unselfish and played the game the right way you know we played to win it wasn't about your batting average or your ERA or you know uh, it was all about winning but baseball games and that's the one thing I think it's overlooked now off the field yeah it, it, it was a zoo man what'd you say <laughs> Controlled chaos, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun, it really was, great group of, you know, yeah, it was harmless fun, yeah. you know, I mean, it wasn't, and there was nobody, you know, fighting in bars, or there was nobody, you know, getting arrested, you know, we just had, it's just a bunch of guys who you know, enjoyed playing the game of baseball together, and, and going to war against other teams as a collective group, and, and uh, you know, I learned a lot that year about what it takes to win and you know and you know we were 
we were picked to finish last in the NL East that year. Yeah, because they were coming and off the last place finish in 92. Yeah, and, you know, we, you know, it started in spring training. We just all kind of clicked, man. It just all the personalities, you know, were, were really good. You know, we had an unbelievable coaching staff. You know, we had, you know, Larry Boa and, uh, uh, you know, Dennis Menke and, and Vukovic and uh, Johnny Padres. And, and, I mean, we just had, you know, and then there was Irish. Mike Ryan. Yeah. I mean, we had a terrific coaching staff, a great manager who had, who knew how to handle that group. Um, you know, Jimmy never had to raise his voice. You know, I remember his first speech to us spring training. He goes, it's not my job to babysit you guys. <laughs> you know what you need to do. You're full-grown men. You get yourself ready. You know, I mean... You know, Jimmy treated us like men and treated us like adults. You know, he didn't. You know, and it worked. Yeah. I mean, he might have been the only guy that could have managed that team. You know, I don't know if anybody else could have possibly managed that ball club because, like you said, I mean, you had some 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 characters on that team. You know, on the extreme side. Yeah. And uh, but it went, but when 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 the when the red light and the TV went on, man, everybody showed up and played the game the right way. And, you know, I mean, we we almost shocked the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, nobody gave us a chance to beat the Braves. You know, I mean, they were the, you know, darlings of, of the NL East, you know. With their four horsemen over there and, you know, being champions. So it, it was a huge success. I mean, it was by far the most fun I've ever had playing the game. And by far the best group of people I've ever been around playing the game of baseball. You were you were witness to two of the most memorable postseason events. You know, obviously the Joe Carter home run, and then three years later with the Orioles, the uh, Jeffrey Merrill catching Derek Jeter's home run. Uh, what, do you yeah, remember, right. what do you remember about those uh, <laughs> did, you, did you have to bring that up? <laughs> I wouldn't, be doing, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't. I know, I know. But, you know, I, I see Joe Carter's home run like a thousand times on TV, and every time I look at it, I say, oh, there I am, yeah. chasing it as it goes into the second deck, you know. Um, you know, I, that was kind of a weird moment, actually, when Joe hit that. Is, you know, I, I was on the field, and I was like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, do I run? You know, I, and it was almost like it's over. It's like it was like a. Uh, it, it, it had been. You couldn't wait to get to the clubhouse every day, and it was so much fun. You couldn't believe it was over. Um, was my thought that goes through my head, and then, you know, the Jeffrey Mayer thing was just crazy. Um, I'll never forget that either. You know, I mean, if if. If Tony Tarasco catches that ball, which he probably would have, you know, we'd have went back to Baltimore up 2-0. Yeah. You know, so, you know, even though the Yankees, you know, beat the pants of us for two games in, uh, in Baltimore, but it still would have been, you know, us up 2-0, having to win one game at home, you know, so um, very disappointing stuff. I mean, the Philadelphia thing, I, there's no disappointment at all. I mean, we went further than anybody gave us an opportunity to. I mean, we left it out, you know, all on the field. And, you know, there's no disappointment there. But the Oriole team, I mean, that team was stacked, man. I mean, that was a, I mean, unbelievable bullpen, great rotation. I mean, I think we had nine guys starting the lineup with 30 or more home runs. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we, we, we were loaded, you know, up and down that Oriole and, so, you know, that, that has a little disappointment because if any team was going to win a World Series, it was that Baltimore Royal team. They were just absolutely loaded with, you know, all-star, Hall of Famer at every position. That would have been a fun matchup with the Orioles and the Braves that year. That would have been, you know, the Braves pitching against the Orioles hitting. That would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would have been a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, got to take your hat off to the Yankees, man. They... You know, they played very well, and, you know, I mean, they, you know, they played better than we did. They deserved to be there. 
Well, Pete, I appreciate a few minutes. I uh, can't wait to uh, you, if you come to Cap Region, we'll get a chance to meet. Hopefully, there'll be fans in the stands uh, when the season starts. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I, I hear that the the, the stadium is a very special place. It is a lot of fun. A lot of the fans are great, and uh, you'll enjoy it up here. Well, looking forward to it. Looking forward to meeting you too. All right, thank you, Pete. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good, my friend. All right, that's Pete Angrelli, and back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette Sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Union College football coach Jeff Behrman. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The NASCAR racing season is starting soon, and the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is back. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race gets their name in the Daily Gazette on Friday and wins a $50 grocery card. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. The second wave of the coronavirus is hitting us, so please be vigilant. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is coming out, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. That wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Zach Matson, my Gazette sports staff colleagues, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, Sean McManus, Hal Wafer, and Pete Incavilia for being a part of the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shots, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.